So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, if you type in Folk on Falcons, you'll see our page. And on Twitter, it's at Folk on Falcons. So you'll obviously be aware we've skipped a week in uh, our usual cycle. That's because we've had a couple of European matches and we thought we'd lump them together in a Christmas special after trying to get back from Ireland and having Gatwick runway frozen over and then the performance against Cardiff. I think I'm very much in a, a Scroogey sort of mood this Christmas. Um, there's only one place to start, really. That's not the rugby on the pitch. It's the off-the-pitch stuff. Um, caught us a bit by surprise. I know it had been rumoured in certain parts that McGuigan was off, but it's been confirmed. He hasn't featured for two weeks. And is the club better or worse off for it? Well, I think in the immediate future, you've got to think worse off because we need him on the pitch. But, you know, we, we've been asking about this or questions have been raised about the hooker situation. You know, is one's got to give Shorty Maguire or... McGuigan or Blamire, sorry. And, um, you know, in the end, it's McGuigan that's gone, possibly because he contracts at the end of the season and he's maybe just had a better offer elsewhere. Or, he's be, or he said to the club, I want to move on or I'm looking for more money. And Gloucester obviously come with a better offer and we can't match that, so we just cash in on him. So, you know, it's Blamire's time now. And actually, funny enough, last season it was the other way around. We were thinking maybe Blamire is actually the one who's more likely to go. Um, but actually, no, it, it's obviously turned out to be McGuigan. And it is a big loss. I mean, goodness knows, I mean, the, the fee they got for him, I mean, who knows, I suppose. But even so, you think in terms of the immediate future and the impact on the pitch, it's a, it's an absolutely massive blow. Yeah, you said Maguire. They obviously got World Cup fever on your mind still. Um, yeah, so the way I see it is that he must have had a chat and said, I'm off at the end of the season anyway, or something along those lines. And then the club need the money or the opportunity arose and it suited everyone to not pay his wages for another however many months. He must have been one of the more highly paid players. And one of the strange, well, not strange, one of the rare times in rugby you actually get a transfer, perhaps, and we actually got some money for compensation for him departing early. But obviously, we've got a great man in the wings. And if you say Blamire and McGuigan were equal players, and I think you'd probably have to say you'd rather have the younger one of the two, which Blamire is. But are they equal players, or is Blamire not as good as McGuigan? To me, would imply the club think he's a better player. And I, I do think after the last couple of times I've seen Blamire, actually, his, um, his line-out throw needs a bit of work at times. But he's certainly a very good hooker, and I guess I'd rather have one of them confirmed for the next two years, which is what we've got with Blamire now, as opposed to the chance that both of them could have been off at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's fortunate, and I'm sure you know, there's an element of calculated risk and and on balance, um, it's better to sort of keep Lemire and give him a bit of a better contract and let McGuigan go, especially if he, saw he wants to go and the opportunities come. And, and I mean, no one can blame him for going. I mean, we can't, can we? Um, but you know, like I said, we are fortunate that we do have a good understudy in Lemire. Um I, I think, you know, he will only get better the more he plays, I'm, I'm sure of that. And I'm, hopefully he has many, many long years Ahead playing for the Falcons, but in long so on long term basis, it could turn out all right. But I think it's just you know, we, you can't deny how important McGuigan has been to us on the pitch in the immediate past and currently. And I think that that's going to be a problem. I think Blumeyer does need to step up and, and kind of fill that gap. I know obviously he can just sit at the end of malls and sort of just collect the tries that McGuigan was getting, but there's obviously other elements to the game which McGuigan does bring, which, but I mean, I think is a different sort of hooker anyway, but as I say, maybe the more game time he gets, the more he can develop sort of how he wants to do his game or what his strengths are, and may, hopefully, best case scenario, we, we don't, we won't notice McGuigan obviously not being there anymore, but it, it, I do think the medium term, it, it is a big loss. Yeah, it's a real shame that it's happened, obviously, because 
if we were one of the, the bigger clubs where the mates with Eddie Jones at the top, or not Eddie Jones anymore, we'll go to that a bit later on. If we were a club where we kept getting England players selected and we have a nice big budget, uh, basically thinking of Saracens or someone, um, you'd probably say, well, we'd have kept both of them. But obviously we're not. We've got to cut our cloth accordingly. But um, I've heard a, a couple of rumours uh, from people close to the club, and it, there are a couple of disconcerting ones. I'm not sure how true they are. I certainly hope they're not true. But um, apparently Mr. Walder got told McGuigan was off as opposed to consulted. And I guess that's the ruthless end of business. And like like we uh, say, Walder's the head coach, not the manager. And um, obviously lots of people pulling at the levers. And I guess Walder's got the job of doing the best of the players he's got and other people decide which players he has, potentially, if there's truth to the room. I don't know. Well, it's always the battle you get, isn't it? As you say, particularly if you're head coach, you know, how many times have we seen, not just rugby, but other sports as well, where the, the you know, your players are still sort of kind of underneath you about consultation and that's kind of the nature of the business and you, you coach the players you've got. And obviously, as a coach, you want your best players, obviously. But then, like you say, it's sort of the nature of the business that these, these things happen. I mean, also, Ian, it's just sort of rumours we've heard or whatever. Obviously, you can't confirm that's true or not, but... Yeah, it's it's not nice to hear, um, especially as, as you want, or at least you like to believe a lot of the, the things that we're told about, you know, there is a great unity in the club and the club, everyone's trying to sort of pull in the same, pull in the, you know, in the same direction this season and little things like that, as you say, are a little bit disconcerting, but, you know, we'll just have to sort of take as it is, I suppose. Yeah, so if we go on to hookers now, um, a couple of seasons ago, we had Kyle Cooper, arguably the best hooker in the league three or four years ago, George Rickon, arguably the best hooker in the league for the last couple of years, and Jamie Blyer, who's the next England hotshot. And now we've got Jamie Blyer, who's got a bang on the head, I think, versus Connor, looks quite groggy. Charlie Madison came on and decided to headbutt someone, and it was blatant. I watched it on the big screen in the ground, and I'm incredibly surprised that he wasn't sent off there and then for it. Stupid. And then um, we've obviously got the, is it Smith and Cade? So we've, we've got a long line, but I think Cade is more of a specialty loose head than a, hooker necessarily but um from what where we had abundance we are getting a bit thin now and i don't know what Blumeyer's state of mind is whether we're playing against sale but um we do look a little bit thin on the ground there now we're sort of just there i think the forwards in general we seem to be racking up a lot of injuries left right and said i mean the most concerning thing arguably from the other night against cardiff was robinson going off um, fairly early on so i think we start to look a bit bare in the forwards department. Um, we'll see if, if people can be patched up and sort of wheeled out for, for sale in the next few days. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's quite a concern considering that, you know, we've often said so many times the past couple of years, oh, how actually we're quite strong in the forwards. There is a, a, a depth there and a good depth, but at the moment it seems to be, you know, whether it's suspensions or injuries or or departures, we are starting to look a bit bare now. And yeah, and I've just got to hope it doesn't sort of become too costly. Like I say, let's, See if we can get patched out or just resting players for, for sale. Yeah, so if we go on to reviews of the recent games that have gone, um, I was one of the lucky fans to make it over to Ireland. Flew into Shannon from Stansted on the uh, Friday morning, and I think that I was very fortunate in that the the, uh, the play actually got there and landed because um, when we were flying into Shannon, suddenly there was a quite unusual announcement of, please turn all of your electrolytes off. We're going to land the plane on autopilot because we can't see the runway. And sure enough, you look down, the fog is on the ground. The plane descends into the fog and then suddenly there's a thump as we landed on the runway. And everyone breathed a sigh of relief after a few gasps because um, we couldn't see the runway until we were on it. 
Um, then you, you get out there, got the hire car, drove around County Clare and Galway and Mayo, and what a beautiful part of the world that is. But um, on to the match itself, and we started off quite slowly, got back into it with a, a little try from a crossfield kick. Um, it's one of the classic ones where you get an advantage and you hoof it across field, and Rad went to Earl to try, and then um, we just start kicking the ball to their best players, basically. And for the rest of the match, we just kept hoofing it to their number 11 or 14. I can't remember who it was, but he was a bloody good player. And they kept running through us. And simple as that. And yeah, the players who played put in a good shift, but the game got away from them. We never looked like getting back into it. It very much reminded me of three or four seasons ago where there's a complete lack of incisiveness. And we saw them all there freezing on the, standing out on the wing or whatever. And I think half the players just wanted to get back off into the into the warmth by the end of it. After about 60 minutes, you could tell that tempers were, were getting a bit frayed. Obviously, we mentioned um, Madison's head, but I think it was Dalton managed to miss, giving someone a good whack at one point. Um Moroni squared up someone in the middle of the park and looked like he was about to lamp someone and then thought better of it. And the, 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 I think by the end of the game, they just wanted to get off the park and we came away with nothing. Then I wouldn't watch Harry Kane boot a penalty into Rose Ed shortly thereafter. And um, what a thoroughly miserable evening that was. Anyway, got worse because I couldn't even fly back to England the next day because the uh, flight out of Shannon was cancelled because Gatwick didn't have to clean a runway. So driving across Ireland in the freezing fog, now looking forward to... Ryanair compensation and whether that'll ever come, I don't know. But will I go on the trip again? Not to watch that spectacle of rugby, but a lovely part of the world. Um, anyway, then moving on to the game against Cardiff, where you had the pleasure of going and freezing your nuts off for 80 minutes. And I think I think my game was relatively good compared to yours. Yeah, I mean, I think you may have just about got the best of it. Um, but, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, of course, anyone listening who, who either well, was either there or watched it on the internet saw how pretty bad it was against Cardiff. Um, like I said, afterwards, very much men versus voice of they played a very, very strong team for their Welsh internationals, and we certainly didn't pick a strong team. And I think questions need to be asked. Um and it was it was played out as we expected. We we're completely utterly outclassed. And there were times where we I, I think more than sort of the periods of the first half and the periods half of the second half where we kind of gave a bit of a game. Um well sorry at the start of the second half where we did get a try where we we did get like I say give it a bit of a go but it was just error strewn once again and like you said for for Connell lack of incisiveness just never looked at it and it, it was only going to be one result and I'll go back to the point about sort of team selection and I think that's the most disappointing thing I mean yes there's only about two and a half thousand turned up but I, I kind of feel that they had an obligation to put out a team that would have made the match competitive. It's obvious they just written the competition off for whatever reason. But I still feel, you know, you top flight pressure on rugby and people are paying money, good money, hard-earned money to go and watch them. And I think they have an obligation to put out a team or at least have a performance which makes them, it makes it a bit of a game, makes it a bit competitive. And they were well short of that. And I think that was the most disappointing thing. I mean, I don't think anyone turning up really had the expectation they were going to win once they saw the team selection the day or two before. And that's, I don't know, I think that's just really disappointing. I don't really think that's on, to be quite honest. I think that as supporters, we deserve better. And in a way, you can't blame a lot of the players who were out there because they were, like I say, men versus boys stuff at times, you know, literally in some cases. But it's just, I just don't think that's on really. And I think as fans, we deserve better. And it's disappointing because that basically means that Barry's a miracle, essentially out of the Challenge Cup. And 
when I was sort of thinking about it more, it kind of reminded me of the days where a few seasons ago, you know, you'd get the old Russian team or the old Spanish team or Romanian team in there, you know, team to play, you know, their, their reserve or second string players, and you'd still rack up 50 or 60 points or whatever. And, you know, that night we were like that. We were like the rabbit team. And I just don't and I just don't think that's all, especially for a home game. And I think that was the most disappointing aspect of it, really. I've been doing a bit of head scratching. Look, because yes, there's injuries and we all know the squad, but there are some names that aren't on the unavailables list. And you think, well, if they're not on the unavailables list, have they fallen out? Is there something going on behind the scenes or are they just being rested? And you think, well, what are they being rested for? Because what is the point in playing rugby if you're not going to try and win games? Well, it must be to finish as high in the league as possible. But to the best of my knowledge, you don't get different prize money depending on where you finish in the league. The only bit that is slightly better is if you were to end up getting the Heineken Cup, not the Challenge Cup. For that, we need there to be three teams to finish lower than us in the league because obviously it's the top eight that go through and obviously two teams don't exist anymore so assuming that stays the same then we've got to find three teams that are worse than us in the league and right now we're kind of on the cusp of eighth position but um, I wouldn't say that's through good performances by us I'd say it's through poor performances by other teams and I look at it and think are there really three teams worse than us in the league and I guess we have to hope there are but I it was an incredible shame if we're before Christmas already throwing away writing off games in the attempt to finish in the top eight and it does make you think overall, what is the point in turning up week in, week out, if the the sole objective is to just finish sixth or seventh in the league and not have a good run at the Cup? Because as far as the finances go, I get it. There's probably more money in the Highland Cup. Um, but ultimately, what do fans want? We want? There's nothing as good as a Cup run and going away and seeing new stadium and things. And right now, it just feels like, as fans, are we being taken for a ride? What is the reason to turn up on the 23rd of December against Sale? Probably watch us get absolutely thrashed the weekend before a couple of days before Christmas. I I, I know the, the, the logic is where fans will support them through thick and thin, but you, you do that normally because you're seeing your team gallantly try and be the plucky underdogs, not kind of just not try and win the game. Well, I mean, we spoke before about what we've perceived as perhaps a lack of ambition. Um, and we've been told, oh, you know, we want, to, we want the team to play entertaining rugby and, and this and that. But, you know, there's nothing entertaining at all about the other night and, and when you were in Connor as well. And... <laughs> It's like, and as you say there, you know, what's the point if we're just going to write off? You know, we have we're in three competitions, and two of them we're, we've essentially just we are writing off or have written off. So what's the point of sort of going? I mean, you've got the home game against Connors coming up in January, and you sort of think, well, what's the point really? Because we're well out of the competition. What sort of team we're going to play? We're we going to be you know, sort of interested in apart from just giving some game time. And of course, I understand. You know, you've got a squad, and you have to give players game time. I get that, and I also get that if you look at the teams in the Challenge Cup. I mean, look at the teams that could drop into it from the Hagen Cup. Yeah, are we going to win it? It's incredibly unlikely anyway. But that goes back to the point of saying, you know, they, we are top flight professional rugby club. We are, we do have fans who are paying good money to watch and they expect the team to be competitive. And I just don't think it's fair on supporters. And it doesn't set out a good impression to, to anyone, whether you're hardcore fans or casual fans. You know, that this is a club that actually is bothered about winning anything or, or winning matches or, or, like we said, showing any sort of ambition whatsoever. I was considering going to Cardiff in January because I thought it'd be quite nice to go to Cardiff Arms Park and watch Falcons play. But after the score at the weekend, I really have to think, well, do I want to go and support the team? And it's a very strange one because every part of me wants to say yes in my heart, but my brain just says spare yourself the time, effort and expense because at the minute we're standing there with zero points in the group where the teams are getting bonus points around us and realistically we need to beat both Cardiff and Connacht 
to get through. And I think probably we were hoping to get through in fifth or sixth place by beating Connaught once and then beating them again in January. But since we beat, got, well, since we lost to Connaught, then I can't see us trying to beat Cardiff in January. I, I think that Cardiff will play another strong team and we'll just accept we're going to get absolutely battered and it'll probably be a, a drubbing, unfortunately, unless something seriously significant changes. And then you think, well, there's one game left against Connors at home where it's kind of a, a wooden spooner in the group. Um, really, I, I'm a bit of a loss now as to what to think. It's not like we've got fun premiership games in between times because we're playing obviously Sale this Friday who are extremely strong opposition this season. We've then got Bath away, which potentially actually could get some, a point or two from. Maybe, hopefully we can get five, but if I'm realistic, I'd hope for a, a four-point win as the, the target there. And then we obviously go to Saracens where, realistically speaking, I think we'll be pleased to say within a respectable scoreline I don't think we necessarily expect to get even a bonus point from that one um, and then we've got Leicester so <laughs> playing against the champions and you, you do look at the next month and a half and think well I guess Dean Richards was right wasn't he we do have a rubbish time of the year around now we don't expect to win anything it's just what happens and unfortunately it's difficult to argue with Dean Richards logic there well I mean I think the premiership is it, to be fair is quite competitive and you know, I know it's a cliche. Every game is a tough game, but it is, especially if you're sort of us half the time. Um, but I mean, with those fixtures there, I guess it kind of links back to what you're saying. Well, you, you want to try and finish eighth, but Bath game absolutely crucial. Um, if we don't get anything from that game, I think mean, we're really up against it. But in that regard, of finishing eighth, um, I mean, it's pretty much Saracens because actually over the years we've kind of sort of you know we've been in leads there at half time. We've sort of been pretty close, and then they sort of always sort of pull away at the end, but. Yeah, um, I think for the sale game, we just got to hope that, you know, I presume there'll be a decent sized crowd for your Christmas game. We'll get some players back. And, you know, I should suppose we have shown that we can get some good wins this season. Hopefully, that may be one of them. You never know. But um, I think we have to target. We've got to try and target a win against sale. We have to. I know I've seen a second in the league flying high, but what else can we do? I mean, just got to hope our. We put on a strong team and they put a good performance for a lot of fans turning out for the Christmas game. Yeah, quite because if we are, we, we've made the assumption we threw the or didn't throw it. We made the assumption we didn't target winning the Cardiff game. Let's put it that way. So the obviously follow-on logic is well, we are targeting to win the sale game, and now we've got new floodlights. So we can actually see how well we're playing in parts of the pitch where formerly we perhaps couldn't. And uh, you were there. Is noticeable difference or not? Uh, yeah, no, it's de- de- definitely a lot brighter. Um, the floodlights did need doing. I mean, it was a case of um, they seem to take their time in changing the bulbs, uh, maybe trying to sort of save a bit of money, knowing that they'll get a whole load of, uh, of, of, of new floodlights coming. But no, to be fair, that is a good improvement. It is a lot easier to see, you know, especially when you know black kits and whatnot. Um, well, it means that we uh, can get the treat of the light show, which we had at Connor. I don't know if you saw it on the telly, but before the game, they they called it a light show. Basically, of someone flicking the switch off and on loads of times, playing some music around, and then when they scored the tries, they turned all the lights off and then flicked the switch a load and. Flash and flash. The sort of thing where if you're a child doing that in the living room lights, you get shouted up for you'll fuse the house sort of thing, but it seems to be okay at professional sports grounds. And it will be a matter of time before someone presses the button and one of those things, whether it be Murrayfield, Connor, or elsewhere where they do the light shows. Harlequins did one and suddenly the floodlight failure and everyone looks quite stupid. I guess we've got the option now of a, a light show at Kingston Park. Look forward to seeing that one advertised and uh, the effect of it. So, um, we're talking about the upgrades to our grounds. Um, I guess a tenuous link to Wasps here. They've had a significant de- degrade, de- or downgrade is I guess the right word, to their ground, moving from the Coventry Arena, now owned by his lordship Mike Ashley, 
They've moved to Solihull Moors Ground, Damson Park. I think the idea is they're going to be reincarnated in the championship next season. I still quite don't quite know why the championship are going to let them in, but might have been told to, I don't know. But um, what's interesting there is if you remember Per Temps Bees, who we beat on the way to the cup final in 2004, was it? We beat them in the semi-final and they beat Wasps in the quarterfinal. Per Temps Bees, um, if you're not aware, uh, Per Temps was from a recruitment company, permanent temporary, so Per Temps, but they were called Bees because they were Solihull and Birmingham, whose nickname was Bees. They became Per Temps Bees. Anyway, Long story short, they also used to ground share with Solihull Football Club, so Solihull Moors Football Club. So you've now had the Wasps and the Bees both ground sharing with the same club, which I think just shows quite, firstly, a bit of a strange thing that the insects are following the rotting fruit. But um, at the same time, you think, well, what is actually the point in Wasps now? They're a championship club that moved from Coventry, where there was a championship club, to Solihull, where there wasn't the demand for a championship club. Any fans that they had on one side of Coventry, it'll be a lot closer to Coventry RFC than it will be to Solihull. And if you actually cared about rugby from Solihull, you probably would have gone to other clubs already in the in the area. So I, I don't know what's going on there. You Give me some wisdom, Ian. Well, um, actually, funny enough, on BBC Rugby um, website, I just, just an article today, as an interview with the Coventry Rugby Chief Executive, Basically, echoing what you were saying, how you know, it, well, his words, it's a, well, he's frustrated and it's a disgrace that Wasps are basically allowed to just set up camp in Solihull, well, obviously, backyard from Coventry, obviously, just down the road. And he's saying, well, they weren't consulted on it, they're just told, well, that's what they, they were just told, right? They moved to Solihull, that's where they are now, that's that. They've been put in the championship. And he's also made the point about how you know, there's all there's been all those arguments with championship clubs with the RFU about funding and sustainability and, and you know, the, the financial cuts they take and all that sort of thing um, from the RFU. And they've talked about, well, how can, you know, what what's sustainable about us when you just, just suddenly just plant wasps right next to us and how, how's that going to affect us? And we, we haven't been, the league hasn't been consulted, the teams haven't been consulted or anything. So it's exactly that point, really. Um, you got to wonder if it's just sort of old boys club, isn't it? You know, just the desperate for Wasps to be given a second chance and just sort of shoved in there, whether other teams want it or not, whether they deserve to be there or not. And and you got to wonder why why championship, why not lower down the leagues? I mean, are they even going to be able to put a team out? I mean, we could be looking at Wasps very much propping up that league, and then do, will they be? I'm assuming they'll be relegated, and then what happens then? Um, and they're going to serve some scam with Worcester, because of course they're still in very much in limbo with their administration. So, yeah, but it's all sorts. But then if they don't get the administration sorted out and they, for example, come in later in the season, oh, will they be allowed to be the championship or do they have to start at a lower level? It's just It just seems a complete mess like everything the RFU does at this level. Yeah, the more I read what's going on, I just cannot work out who is making these decisions. When you look at what happened with Wasps, they had a fan base in London. They moved to Wickham where they actually had a reasonable fan base once again. They were doing all right. They ran out of money and they moved to Coventry. There was a lot of a hoo-ha at the time and then it was kind of, well, there's nothing that says they can't do it. They're going to be the richest club in the world. It's going to be fantastic for the area, blah de blah blah Turns out that ended up with debts of almost £100 million. All the loyal fans that bought into it have ended up getting about 16 pence in the pound back, I think is the latest estimate. You've then got um, a championship that, if you look at it over the last decade, it's been absolutely ruined by the higher levels of the rugby. They've slashed the funding, stopped them getting promoted. They've stopped teams getting relegated into it, so there's no 
longer the big bumper one where everyone turns up and tries to thrash whoever it is. They, they've basically been told, well, we don't really want you. You're just kind of a, a relic from the past when it was an amateur game. And then suddenly the wheels have fallen off the professional game and they're saying, oh, well, we're going to just throw wasps in, as you say. And you remember Richmond, London, Welsh, these sorts of clubs that went bankrupt and they just got let left to start again from the bottom if they had some part of it, or some of them just vanished. And why is it Wasps are getting special treatment? And like you say, the Wasps have got no players anymore. They're going to have no fans. All they're going to have is a trophy cabinet that's just been put in the back of a, a van and dropped off somewhere else. And do you think, well, who's actually going to turn up to watch this? And why Why is no one going to bother? What, what are they trying to achieve? Is it they cannot bear that, oh, what Lawrence Delalio's Wasps, they're going to go bust and James Haskell won't like it on his podcast because he's got a few more listeners than we do, but he's popular and rubbed the right shoulders in his time. Right? I don't care. They they fundamentally failed as a business. We've got to sell George McWiggins so we get a bit of money in the bank and we made the difficult decisions. Then you get teams like Wasps, uh, yeah, they just keep going and they can just be a phoenix in a new form. It just really get, gets me annoyed. Well, a club that comes to mind um, is West Hartlepool. I mean, they had to start completely from the bottom. Then they are playing, you know, my club Northern, you know, in the league on occasion, these sort of things. So, you know, it, it has happened before and there's been no safety net for them. Um, obviously, West Hartlepool won the Premiership. Um, and, but it also, as you said before, well, why should wasps be, I guess, planted just back in the Midlands? They've got no... Yes, that's where they've been, where the, the franchise, quote, unquote, has been sort of put there recently. But w- w- why should they put their... Why why, could, why should they not start in London again? I mean, there is the Wasps Amateur Rugby Club. I mean, I've played there. They've got plenty of decent pitches, and they'll probably get... It's, well, in there's the capacities there for a few hundred fans, which I'm sure they would get down there turning up, or even some more for traditional WASP fans who have still live in London. Um, you know, why why can't they go down there rather than taking up Coventry's sort of space or any other middle and team space in the championship? It's it's absurd. And as you say, I think it's just simply a case that they're just trying their absolute best just to get them going again one way or another. And that's whether other fans, other championship clubs care or not, really. Yeah, I think we're starting to feel a bit different. And I think they just got successively relegated down the divisions. I'm not sure they got booted out and started at the bottom. I might be wrong on that. A bit too young to understand, maybe. But I certainly remember my first season watching the Falcons. I went to the derby against West Hartlepool. Can't remember anything in the game, but I remember it happening and my grandfather taking me along to it. But um, there we go. <laughs> how, how times have changed. But anyway, um, times are also changing at RFU HQ. Um, on the coaching side, unfortunately, not the... People actually have brains getting instilled on positions. But um looks like it's now been officially announced what we all suspected, that Borthwick's getting there with his rugby league side, Kevin Sinfield, alongside him. So obviously you've got the standard rugby league defensive coach. And then you've got Borthwick, who um obviously excellent player for England, done a very good job with Leicester. Let's see if he has new tactics. To be fair, Leicester actually are playing a bit more expansive rugby perhaps recently than they have in the past. Uh, I mean, my my sort of gut reaction is that it's, it's I'm trying to way to put this. It's a solid, if not safe, choice. If I, that kind of makes sense, in the sense that a, I don't think he can argue with his record at less. Obviously, won the league less. He did a fantastic turnaround there. But I, I just wonder if he's really the right man because it's not for me. It's not a clean break. I mean, it was part of Eddie Jones's coaching setup for a long time. Um, where RFU people see that as an advantage. Uh, but I would have preferred a completely clean break, completely someone who's never been involved with England at all, 
But again, I suppose that, you know, considering the RIP, that's probably never going to happen. But um, I also wondered about his coaching career. Maybe it's a bit harsh, but yes, obviously he did very well with Leicester. Hasn't done so well this season. But if you look before Leicester, there there isn't a lot there. And I don't know, I, I just, I don't know how permanent or temporary this position this appointment rather is going to be but we'll we'll see i mean i don't think it can be any worse um and to be fair if he can turn england into the battering ram that leicester were when they won the league just absolutely bullying and battering every team that you know that comes against them on the pitch then i think we're quite pleased actually not necessarily always the nicest thing to watch but it sure got results um we'll have to see i mean got give the benefit of the doubt and the and he's well he's there for World Cup anyway, so that's that. But I don't know what it's gonna be like for Six Nations, because it's not a lot of turnaround between obviously now and when that starts at a sort of month and a half or whatever it is now. But um yeah, I, I guess he sort of has to have his gotta back him for now and see what happens and fingers crossed that it's a bit of a positive Six Nations and kind of build on there to the World Cup, which is really what matters. Yeah, I guess um, I haven't looked at the ins and outs of it. I'm not sure it's going to be released, but I presume they've put him on a one-year contract. And um, like you say, or they've obviously paid presumably quite a lot of money for him to leave Leicester. I dread to think how much the whole change of management's actually cost the RFU. But um, obviously they've got him. Um, like you say, I think he's probably the safe choice. I think uh, Bill Sweeney et al., Probably um, don't want to be openly criticised for going to a bit left field. I know you'd suggested Scott Robinson. A couple of the names get thrown around when you start talking about this sort of thing. But um, I think he's the one where they can't get criticised for the decision because he was the bookies' favourite. And no one has criticised him thus far. But um, if we're lucky, even even if he is very much the same mould as Eddie Jones, when Eddie Jones first came, he um, had a good couple of years to begin with. And you do get the, you see it in football, sometimes other sports, the, the effect of a new manager. Uh, just to kick up the backside of changing the personnel a bit and has an effect people want to impress. So, um, hey, if, if we have a good Six Nations or just not a bad Six Nations, I wouldn't necessarily say we're in the worst position for the World Cup, but um, let, let's just see what happens. So, um, if we just go for a quick roundup of scores, obviously we've got the European fixtures, but um, I'm not going to bother talking about the, challenge, uh, the Champions Cup because I don't care about it. So, we'll stick with the Challenge Cup and... Let's just stick with our group for now, because otherwise we'll be here all day. So so we're in group one, and um, on Friday night, Glasgow beat Perpignan, 26 points to 18. Connacht beat Breve on Friday, also away, 31 points to 24. Um, on Saturday, it was the turn of Toulon to beat Bath, 29 points to 7. And obviously, we got thrashed by Cardiff, 47 points to 10. And then finally, on Sunday, Bristol beat Zebra, 35 points 19. So, if we look at the group, remembering that the top six are the ones that go through, we have five teams which have won two games. So, you've got Cardiff, Toulon, Bristol, Connor, and Glasgow in that order. Um, you've then got three teams with one losing bonus point, being Zebra, Bath, and Breve. Then you've got Perpignan and us right at the very bottom on points difference with zero points. So, I guess what you can say there is the Top five in that group have effectively qualified already if they just get a point or two somewhere along the way in the next round of matches in January. And then there is still that sixth position. So somehow we've got to do the unbelievable and win two games, probably get at least nine points out of it. And you never know, we might scrape through. But um, I think, like we said, tall order, and we've probably written that competition off, which is a real shame. And then we've got the local leagues, and unsurprisingly with the 
troll from Trondheim, as it's been called. Um, there have been very few matches played, and also coincides a bit with the uh, the Christmas break. Um, I know certain leagues didn't have matches scheduled for this weekend. I don't think they're too keen to rearrange them into it either. So um, in Regional 1 Northeast, um, we had Billingham beating Cleckheaton, 45 points to 18. In Regional 2 North, um, only a couple of games there, we had... Penrith 45, Espatria 5, and Stockton lost 68 points to 10 at home to Northern. So I guess Northern gets score of the week this week. And um, I think you've got a bit of inside information on that one, Ian. Yeah, so uh, the reason that one went ahead is uh, Stockton were the home team who are actually playing at Billingham, who have a plastic pitch. So I think Northern were pretty much one of the only ones able to actually, well, Northern and Stockton were the only ones pretty much able to get their game on that weekend. So yeah, and obviously for my club, Northern are cracking away when down there. Yeah, and well, I guess Penrith obviously must just have played the match because it's tropical over there. I don't know quite how they got their game on. Maybe there wasn't as much snow. I've got no idea. But um, well done to all the ground staff at all clubs who managed to get anything going recently because... Um, it's not been easy for local clubs and it's going to cause a bit of a mess later on in the season, I fear, because um, we could be ending up with, if there's a cold snap in January or February again, we could be ending up with one of the years where there aren't, uh, there are still matches being played in the early summer as opposed to the late spring. But um, anyway, there we are. We're going to Christmas. We'll probably give you a, another doubler episode after the match on New Year's Eve, which we'll cover the sale and bath. Um, so... Merry Christmas for everyone at Folk on Falcons. I, me, and Ian. So, Yuletide felicitations and have a happy new year. Yeah, Merry Christmas, everyone.